0: For me, it was really about thinking about regret versus not not having regret. And so for me, it was really like, if I don't try this right now, then what's gonna happen in two or three years? Like, will I regret not trying? And the answer for me was emphatically yes.
1: You're listening to This Life Explains It All. With the creators of Vera,
2: your guide for navigating a conscious life. We're Stefania Romeo and Catherine Griffiths. This Life Explains It All was created out of belief that our life experience is our greatest teacher. And as soul sisters and intuitives, we've spent the past decade completely obsessed with better understanding our minds and our bodies, all while running a mile a minute with busy careers as leaders in the tech startup world.
1: On this podcast, we are bringing you the insights and lessons that have changed our lives with the thought leaders, healers, and dreamers behind them. We're discussing wellness practices, healing methods, and experiences that get us to think differently about life and live empowered. Whether you want to uplevel your health, your career, your relationship, or going through changes to your life path, this information can help you get there and let you know that we're right here with you.
2: We believe life isn't meant to be lived linear, and no matter where you are right now, you're right on time. Today, we have Heidi Zack, the co-founder and CEO of Third Love on the podcast. We cannot wait for you guys to hear this conversation. Before we get into that, Kat and I are in New York today. Yeah. I was going to say this week, but we just got here yesterday. It seems like we've been here for a month.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really great to be here again. It really, really is. I'm feeling very nostalgic just walking around the streets and especially in the Lower East Side where we used to live. That's why I love staying in this neighborhood when we
2: come back. I feel like- it's cool to like fall into a lot of the old places that you loved, but also I always try to balance doing new stuff too, because I feel like there was a period of time where every time I came back to New York, I tried to sort of like repeat my old life for a few days. And then I kind of got to a point where I was like, I don't know that this is good for me. I want to, I love New York and I want to like explore it as it is now versus trying to go back in time. Do you ever feel like that?
1: Yeah. I think I'm more of a, I mean, if there is a place that I really love, then I'm a creature of habit. I'll always want to go there again. But yeah, I mean, you can't recreate the past, unfortunately, even though like I I kept looking back last night, especially seeing one of our friends, Rachel, her sister was in town and she's a lot younger than us. And she's at the stage now that we were in when we first moved here. Yeah. So I was getting really just nostalgic about that, like yeah. about our we were like just running around, like having so much fun and not that we're not now, it's just very different. Yeah. It evolves. Mm -hmm.
2: It changes. Yeah. Oh, Kat. Okay. So we posted on the Instagram, Kat posted on the Instagram, you posted the things you were going to do pre-flight and during Uh, the flight. Yes. How did those work out? If you want to give a quick breakdown of what you did do and.
1: Yeah. So I did go for a run. To tire myself out, but I didn't go for the run at 5 a.m. Sorry, guys, I did try. But I woke up a little bit later that day and I've been listening to my body a lot more. I woke up and I didn't have it in me to go for a run. So I just got up, did some work, and woke up a little bit. And then I went later on. So that was good. And I did take magnesium and valerian root onto the plane with me. And I did not have any wine. During these, I guess, handful of days where we're traveling a lot together, we're doing
2: a lot of adaptogens. We're not drinking so that we can keep our immune systems up. We're trying to do like little things that we can get enough sleep, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think if I were drinking alcohol right now, That wouldn't be good because I'm not getting as much sleep as I normally do. I'm out of my routine. And not every travel experience is like this, but because this one is a lot of running around and going to meeting as many people as we can and doing podcast interviews, I just have to my our immune system has to stay up. So it's working out all right. Well, let's talk about
2: Wednesday night. So this past Wednesday last week, we actually didn't release a podcast last week because we were busy hosting our launch event in San Francisco, which was incredible. So we had an amazing group of people to come together for self-care experiences. We had energy healing. We had Tanya Corona there, who we've had on the podcast before. We had breathwork sessions, we had tarot readings, we had herbalist, mini herbalist consults with wonderful herbalist named Bonnie Rose Weaver, who's going to be on the podcast coming up. And the event was all about connecting self-care and our own wellness to real life. So making it applicable and accessible. So in that spirit, we brought together those self-care experiences alongside a conversation that we hosted for this podcast that you're going to be hearing in a few minutes with Heidi Zach of Third
1: Love. Yeah. She is incredible. You'll be very inspired when you hear her.
2: Yeah. I loved that Heidi was so real and so funny. Like Mm -hmm. she's kind of so- Irreverent had a great sense of humor. Um, She has accomplished so so much, but I think she's so down to earth and relatable about it that I think a lot of the women at the event came up to us after and let us know. It was it was great to hear from people. I just I really needed to hear that. Like some of the things that she said. I really needed to hear and it sort of gave me clarity or gave me like a push that I needed to do something differently in my career, for example. So we're really excited for you guys to hear this podcast. One thing that we want to let you know is this was recorded live at a live event. So certainly you will take note of that in terms of the space and kind of hearing the laughter and a little bit of the background. So want you to know that going in that this was recorded in a live setting. So. Heidi Zach. Heidi is the co-founder and CEO of Third Love. If you don't already know Third Love, it is a company that changed the game when it came to how we buy our bras. And it really raised the bar on what we can expect from a company that really understands women.
1: Yeah. And Third Love introduced a unique custom approach to helping women find the perfect size with their Fit Finder quiz. And they've introduced this hyper-inclusive sizing and an overall message that embraces women as, as they actually are. Heidi saw a need based on her own experience. She had an idea and turned it into a reality. Heidi is also a mom of two and an investor herself. She does it all.
2: We're talking to Heidi about advice for changing careers, what to do when you're not feeling satisfied with your work and what it's really like to be an entrepreneur. Heidi shares the steps that she takes to balance it all as best she can. We talk about how to get comfortable doing the uncomfortable and a hint on this one, it has a lot to do with getting comfortable just being yourself and letting your own unique qualities shine through versus following any sort of model that we've seen. Heidi talks about how she's learned to trust her gut and follow her own instincts and what happens when we don't do that. And she shares lessons she's learned from being a mom, being a woman in the often man's world of investing and venture capital and raising money for her company and how she sees the paradigm shifting. All this and much more in this interview. So let's get to it and we will see you on the other side of the interview.
1: Thank you for being here, Heidi. <laughs> yes, thank you, Heidi. Yes. So let's get into
0: it. So what inspired you to start that love? Yeah, so it was a long time ago now in 2012. I, was, um, I lived in New York as well and um, in New York City and, and moved out here to San Francisco in 2010. I'd been at Google for two years and really realized that I wasn't really fulfilled in my day-to-day, which I think a lot of people, you know, experience at different moments in time when you're like, what am I doing with my life? Why do... I do this every single day. Like, is this kind of really where I want to be? And so there are two things going on. One was like, I knew I didn't want to be at Google forever. And I really could imagine myself 10 years in like still being at Google, you know what I mean? Uh, Especially given they have like amazing maternity leave and all these benefits and they make it really hard to leave. But I knew I didn't want to do that. And then I had a lot of bad business ideas. So like, like I think any good entrepreneur, usually you have a lot of really bad ideas and you start doing research and you're like, oh, somebody else is doing it or it's not that, it's not going to be that, it's not a good business model. As it relates to bras, I was shopping at a Victoria's Secret store down near Mountain View and- because I had always shopped at Victoria's Secret like I, I was in my early 30s still going there and I went into the store and did what I normally did which is you know you go in and I always try to avoid like making eye contact or having anyone assist me in a bra store so i like I'm like no no, no i got it like I know who, I'm a 34b like they told me that when I was 14 so I'm totally in the right size, and um, grab as many bras as I could and then walked into the fitting room and try to punch on and settle for a bra that didn't really fit like normal and try to get out of there as quickly as possible. And you know, the bright lights and the smells and the whole thing. And <laughs> so I walked out and the moment that was the real like aha moment for me was when I walked out with the pink striped bag and I stuffed it into the bag I was carrying because I was so embarrassed that I was still shopping there. <laughs> and I came home that night and I said to my husband, who's my co-founder, I'm like, I have the idea. And he was like, what? Raws. he was like what (laughs) Um, and I was like no here's all the reasons why and anyway long story short it was basically just a bad raw shop shopping experience that created the, the initial idea
2: so then what was the catalyst for you actually saying okay like I'm going to take this idea and try to make it
0: into a company or how did that thought process go yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of research that went into it. I think the biggest thing for me and the reason I made the leap was, um, when I was at a point in my career where I felt like I could do something and if it failed, like it was going to be okay. Like I had enough savings that I could float this for six months. Like, and for me, it was really about thinking about regret versus not, not having regret. And so, For me, it was really like, if I don't try this right now, then what's going to happen in two or three years? Like, will I regret not trying? And the answer for me was emphatically yes. So it was just like that moment in time where I felt like if I didn't do it, I would live my life wondering what if I had tried. And like failing is cool because you learn something, you know? So if you can like reframe it, like failing isn't the worst thing that can happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what did you do in those first, you know, the, like to pressure test the idea in the first few months? You know, it was hard for us because we needed physical product. So for us, it was built like building like the prototype where we had an app originally. so like doing that, getting some initial samples, starting to wear tests on women. That's how we discovered Half Cups was doing a lot of testing with women. We invited to a really shady fifth floor walk up. in <laughs> so um, also Craigslist, like come try bras on. <laughs> don't like thing. <laughs> today probably wouldn't have happened i don't know the world was a different place in 2012 um, and so yeah that's how I started <laughs> Love that.
2: what helped you navigate like were there certain things that you did did you have any kind of practices that you used or thought processes to like move you through that as you were it sounds like moving through kind of unknown territory and just trying
0: stuff out no. And I mean, I still, I think it's like all it's trial and error, yeah. right? you know? So it's like, I, and I get asked that question a lot. Like, what did I learn? Like, what can I share? And I think it's like, you have to, it's a windy, windy path yeah. when you're on the entrepreneur journey and you face, if you think about it, it's a maze. And like, if the maze is really long and you're at the beginning. It's, like, really dark in there, and there's lots of, like, fake walls, Mm -hmm. and you bump into them all the time, Mm -hmm. and you really need to be able to, when you bump into a wall, to be able to turn around, regroup, like, find your next direction, and you need to do all of that without, like, running out of money, and so, like, that's (laughs) sort of the analogy, because if you keep bumping into walls, and they're very expensive, like, mirrors that are shattering, you know? Yeah. It's going to go dry. Yeah. yeah, terrible analogy. Yeah. I mean, I've never actually used that one. Yeah.
1: Is there one of those, a specific example that you could show that you
0: really learned from? Yeah, I mean, I think in the early days, we had this idea of producing bras on demand. So mm-hmm. the idea was basically supply chains, there's so much um, that gets produced, right, in consumerism and ever across every category that goes to waste or is it isn't the right product or you're not producing the right size so the idea was if we make a bra on demand like well less inventory risk it's better for the environment um it's all sounded great and then we started doing it and i was basically living on the border of mexico where a factory our original factory was and the bras started coming off the line so someone would place an order and then we'd like ship them the bra a week later And the bras were like Frankenstein bras. So they were coming off the line and they would have like an A wire and an A and a half or like mismatched cups or like the strap, like, because there's 30 components in a bra and we didn't realize the complexity of having to pick and pull all those inputs to create the bra that somebody ordered. There's a reason why Henry Ford invented the assembly line. It was very smart of him. And when you have an assembly line, things tend to be more efficient and higher quality. Mm-hmm. And so that was like a lesson learned. And we lost hundreds of thousands of dollars on that, in like the first year. We like barely got out of that to like a different type of model in a different country. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I think I mentioned a couple times already the fit finder quiz because yeah. I, that's like when I first became aware of third Love. like that's what I saw. And even the infographic and the whole way that you guys set that up, like really grabbed me. And that's like really what my first introduction to the brand was. And like I said, I feel like that just represented such like hyper customization, really understanding women and even like gamifying the experience a little bit, which is
0: always fun. How did that piece of the brand come to be so in the early days of Third Love, does anyone remember our app? Did anyone ever download it here? No. So we had this app that like let you size yourself using your phone, which today would actually work, but this is again 2013, like people weren't as comfortable with that. And so when we realized the app wasn't gonna work, it was really about How do you take the experience of a bra fitter? So if you've ever been fit by a really good bra fitter at like a Nordstrom or a high-end bra boutique, they basically come in. They don't use a measuring tape. They come in and they size you up. They see you in your bra and they see what's wrong. And they see if you have cup gaping or overflow. Or if your straps are slipping and they, they're looking at your body type and then they bring something in and it's kind of like magic when they bring you something that's the size you didn't think you were in a style that you've never tried. Mm-hmm. So in essence, the Fit finder was really meant to mimic that plus yes. what we had learned from the app. And so, yeah, I mean, it really was about servicing women. Of course, we get a lot of data that we collect on the other side yeah. that helps mm-hmm. make our product better and the experience for the customer better. But it was also about demystifying and making women feel really comfortable with their bra, with their bodies, and also that they're not alone. So I think that one of the biggest learnings that I've had, and I've talked a lot about boobs and breasts and bras with like many, many women. I like to say every woman is a bra story. So like anybody who comes up to me is like, oh, let me tell you. And then there's a story. But most women always say, I'm really weird. Like, literally, if I had, like, a dollar for every time somebody said that, like, no, it's just me. Like, it's my like And I'm like, it's not just you. There's, like, millions of women who have similar issues or struggle with fit in the same way. And so part of the fit finder was really meant to say, like, if you have asymmetric, you know, breasts or if you, you know, which is, like, the standard like every woman there's virtually no woman out there who has breasts that are identical size like that's not that's like a myth right but it's a myth that's been perpetuated so I think it was really about trying to help women find their size but also making them feel more confident and comfortable with their body like in that journey yeah of just showing them things that are similar to them yeah does that make sense yeah, yeah. And what are you seeing entrepreneurs in general doing really well and also not so well? I know that you're an angel investor now. So what are you seeing there? I mean, today there's so many companies doing all kinds of really cool things. I mean, I think that I've only invested in female founders. um, And so... I just think there's a lot of energy around creating things that women may see an opportunity for that perhaps like the other gender may not see as much. So I think that's really cool. I think the biggest thing is it's a very busy world today. And so it's not so much what are the entrepreneurs doing wrong. It's just really different. Like if you can't just like build a brand overnight on Facebook or Instagram like you used to, right? Like, so there's just these methods that were used three to five years ago that like aren't going to work like full stop so there's got to be like different methods of engaging and building customer bases and things like that yeah what
2: do you think people are doing right like especially when you're kind of vetting for looking at like what you might potentially be interested in
0: in investing or, or otherwise like what are the things that you're that you're seeing that are being done right I mean, I think everything that's, like, infrastructure-related is a lot easier today than it was, like, six or seven years ago because the ecosystem has been built to, like, almost support entrepreneurship in a way that, for consumer especially, didn't exist six or seven years ago. So I think people are, like, just you can almost like, I don't want to say build a brand overnight, but you can like create a website on Shopify and, you know, use different platforms and and get something that feels like pretty good quickly. And so I think that's like a benefit today that I definitely see. I'm like, if you saw our branding from the first two years, I'd be like mortified. It was so bad. Today, I feel like I see these companies and they have like two people and everything looks beautiful. You know? Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: What do you do in terms of Balancing everything in, from a wellness perspective, you know, that you're a mom yeah. and, you know, CEO. Like, how do you balance it all?
0: Yeah, I don't know that I particularly balance it. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of natural energy. Like, I'm a very energetic person and mm-hmm. have, like, generally have had a lot of energy. So, I think that helps. I think what I've realized along this journey is that I worked a ton in the first two years, like, a ton like 12 14 hour days you know for the first two years and had a baby and went back to work after two weeks all these things that were kind of crazy yes (laughs) after an emergency c-section I wouldn't recommend it for anyone but um, I think what you realize it's like a journey and it's like if you get burnt out which is really easy or you know stress takes over and you're sick all the time or whatever you become so and this doesn't matter if you're a founder just anyone once you get burnt out it's really hard to like get out of that and so and you can't just like do that for that much time and so now I've learned to. I think I've managed stress a lot better than I did in the early days one I work out every day I sleep like I get eight hours of sleep a night like people are like yeah. I'm crazy I'm like sleep's like my number one priority oh like I don't function well so it's just like you need to know yourself and like do the things that make you happy and healthy as much as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any like really tactical like hacks or tips or things that you do to like manage your time that help you be super productive? I mean, like, I only work out at home these days. I'm like a walking ad for Peloton. I mean, Peloton <laughs> and the Peloton bike and the Peloton truck. They should pay me money for the amount. i talked about it. I talk about it every time um, because I can't get out of the house. So if I have to go somewhere and it takes an hour and a half, like, I'm only going to go once a week if I have my Peloton. Like, I did at the treadmill for 20 minutes this morning. So I think those kind of things where you're, like, depending how much time you have, like, how do you make the most out of your time? Yeah. And so... I think that's one I think saying I say no to a lot of things Mm -hmm. like I just can't do all the things that people would like me to I just you know you have to set boundaries yeah those are probably some of the bigger ones
2: yeah did you always find it easy to say no or was that something that you had to work
0: toward? I don't think it's gotten any easier. I always feel badly, like, Mm -hmm. saying no to somebody. And so it doesn't necessarily get easier. Um, But I sometimes try to introduce people to others. Like, I can't do this, but there may be somebody I know that could help or come do this thing or answer that question for you. Yeah. You know? I like that, like, being a connector. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that, like, more
2: and more, like, the idea of, like, boundary setting is accepted more. And, like, we're trying to embrace that and, like, help each other out in, like, doing that. But it can be really challenging to do it. And not even on the other side to, like, take it personally, but, like, respect the boundary. It's, like, all a practice, I think. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Are there things that you've learned about yourself
0: through this whole journey and your whole experience that you can share or that kind of surprised you? I think the biggest thing is that I think you can either live life having like a victim and I've been talking about this lately, like having a victim mentality or having like an ownership mentality. Mm -hmm. So I'm like really into this of late. Um, And I think for me, it's really changed the way I view the world and like what's going around me. And I think it's something that works in your personal life as well, because it's very easy to, you know, wake up or experience something and be like, well, this happened, or this person said that or whatever, all these things that Mm -hmm. are out of your control. And then to basically say, well, and that's why, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. And so really what I've been saying is like, what is in my control and like, how do I show up in the world? Because like the only thing we all can control is ourselves. Like you can't walk out and control anything that happens to you from somebody else you just control how you react what you say how you behave Mm -hmm. and like the energy you bring and so I think for me that's been something that's been like a journey yeah because it's easier in some ways to like place blame on others instead of like owning your part of the world
1: yeah I completely agree with that I think the victim mentality is just not it doesn't get you anywhere and it's not very fun to be around somebody
0: like that What were you like as a child? Were you very entrepreneurial or did this come later on? No. I mean, I say this all the time. I was not the kid like selling with the lemonade stand. I had more (laughs) traditional jobs and things like that. But um, I think I've kind of grown into it. I think when you find your passion and it's something you're really believe in and that you're building, like that can all change. I mean, I've seen it work in both ways. I think a lot of founders are entrepreneurial and have always been, but I don't think that is like a make or break for being a successful one. Your niche. Yeah, I always yeah. think it's interesting because my nieces are so different from each other. Like, one's really entrepreneurial, the other is not so much. So I always find that interesting. Do you see differences in your kids as well? They're too little yet to quite know, but, you know, my daughter the yeah. other day came home and said something like, she's in kindergarten and she's the oldest one and she came home and she's like, Mom, you're famous. And i was like, you, you <laughs> famous. And she's like, you are, you started third love. Like, you sell bras. And I mean, she knows that, you know. And I was like, okay, like, I like, was like Kind of, like, it was like a funny feeling for me because I was like, I'm like a little bit famous, not like a really famous, like <laughs> comparing <laughs> me to, her. but it was like very cool that she yeah. I don't know what they were talking about at kindergarten, but something don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Who
2: knows? <laughs> yeah, what would you say to someone who has an idea and is thinking about following a path similar to yours and trying to turn it into a business, or even someone who isn't necessarily interested in entrepreneurship, but wants to like make a big career change that is more aligned to their passion. Like,
0: do you have advice that you would give someone in that position? Well, on the latter, I think changing careers, like I think people talk about it like ad nauseum. I'm sure people have friends who've done this where you like always hear from them, like, I don't like my job. Like I want to switch. You know, you hear this all the time yeah. and you're like, For that thing, I'm like, just do it. Like, Mm -hmm. go back to school, change your job, like, go get an internship, whatever it is. I mean, no one's going to make that happen besides yourself. And so, I mean, a tactical example, when I was at business school, I had been in, like, finance and consulting, and I wanted to work at a retail company. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason I went to business school was, like, I couldn't get it. Like, it's so hard to change career paths, like, midstream, right, in your mid, late 20s. And so I went to business school, and then, I wanted to get a job at a retail company. Of course, they don't come to like retail companies didn't come to business school to recruit. So everybody in my business school class, like literally everybody had a summer internship besides me. My parents were like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't want these jobs. Like I had those jobs before I came here. Like I didn't come here to get one of these jobs again. And so I literally emailed and cold called like every retail company in New York and like, basically begged my way to a summer internship and that turned into a full-time job and I was there four years and that like kind of set the stage for third love and so it's like if you want to do something you can do it you just need to commit be patient and like make it happen and it it takes like more energy and time and it's like unsettling to sometimes like be you know in between but I think like no one's going to create that besides yourself That's like one part of the question. The second part about entrepreneurship, I think that's harder because I think there today is there's this like, I think we talked about this before, like there's an idea, there's like a a sexiness like in the media about being an entrepreneur and like nothing about that is actually, actually true at all. Like what I do every day, if you like followed me around, you wouldn't think it was like it's not as cool as you think it is. You know what I mean? Like, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of stress. And most people, like, are not going to, like, be cut out for it. I think it's hard. And so I think that that's my take on starting something, is, like, you got to be ready for that. And, like, no, it doesn't end. I, in the early days of Third Love, kept telling myself, oh, the bigger we get, it'll be easier. The more people I have, it'll be easier. It's actually totally the opposite. It gets, it's not It's different, but it's equally as challenging as it was on day one in totally different ways. Yeah. And so, like, that's, like, the beauty of it. But, yeah. Makes
2: sense. We have a couple more questions for Heidi, but I wanted to mention earlier, Heidi's graciously agreed to take a few Q&A questions. So think about if you guys have something that you want to ask Mm -hmm. Heidi, because we'll get to that in a few minutes. One question that we ask all of Mm -hmm. our guests
0: is, what life experience has been your greatest teacher? Mm good question wow there's like so many different ones you can share a couple yeah I mean I think like a big one that happened to me in my early 20s was I had a job offer and I was like waffling on it and I went back to accept it, it was kind of during the recession of like 2001 2002 it was on like that point in time and I went back to accept it and they had given the job offer to somebody else And I, like, completely freaked out because I was, like, I'm not going to, you know. And and it was an interesting, that moment for me really crystallized, like, being decisive. Mm -hmm. And, like, you just, like, can't take things for granted. And I think that a lot of times I feel like people do. And so I think, like, when you have those moments that happen, like, that put things in perspective, it just made me just more cognizant of, like, you know, just making sure I made decisions like more quickly and yeah. in a way that made sense. I mean, I would say the other big moment was, I mean, honestly, I think like having, it's kind of a trite answer, but like, honestly, like having kids, like, I think the seeing the world through their lens like radically has changed just how I view almost everything and like the importance and hierarchy of life yeah. um, in a way that, I think that's, yeah, that's part of the beauty. Those are probably two of the bigger ones. Yeah. What's an example that you can share on, like, seeing it through a child's lens? I just think what kids do incredibly well is, one, like, anything can be fun for them. Like, they don't need toys. They don't need, I mean, they want, they think they do, but they don't really. (laughs) It's, like, just experiences and moments and, like, being present. And I think, like, the other day I was – this weekend like we were having a picnic I live in Petrero Hill and we were having a picnic outside of our front door on the cement on the <laughs> sidewalk with like I mean it was just because they had the idea right like so it's just like these moments of like just ideas they create things that are out of nothing and then they really really enjoy those moments because yeah. they're they're always they're present yeah and they don't think about the past and the future they're like very kids are I feel like more than anyone else like, in the moment of what they're doing, and, like, we all can learn something from that. Like, if you just put down your phone and you're, like, present in the moment that you're connecting with somebody or you're doing something, like, that's, like, isn't that what life is about? Like, whether it's work or play, it doesn't matter. It's, like, are you all in? Yeah, Yeah, we talk about that a lot, actually, like, remembering what were we like as
1: a child, and that's probably, you know, those activities are things that we probably would enjoy now, too, so just going back to that and... Experiencing and being excited again. Yeah. Cool. Should we open it up to? Yeah, does,
2: does anyone, anyone have any questions?
0: questions for Heidi? Shab? Hi, uh, Shab. I guess I'm trying to make this in a positive way, but like, what keeps you going? I was going to say, why didn't you just quit? But <laughs> <laughs> what well, keeps you going? Is it more yeah, I mean, I think like, though it is very stressful, like, I love what I do and that I learn something every day. And so again, it goes back to like, there's always challenges, but like what keeps me going is one, the fact that like when I come in, I know that with like work and hard work and dedication and thought, like most things will get figured out. And like you've created something like really real, really tangible that does impact like many, many women. And so knowing that, hearing those stories, like the combination of those two things, and honestly, like the team we've created and the people that are like, we're you know we're really tight knit. Like all of those things are important. So I don't mean to say it's like terrible every day. It's not. It's just not like gla- I don't think it's like as glamorous as mm-hmm. probably the media might portray it. Yeah,
1: that's
0: my take. Well, okay, first it. Lindsay. I think Lindsay is her handsomest. We'll get to both of us.
1: <laughs> I'm
2: Lindsay. So my question is: I think a lot of us get really hung up on this idea of our dream jobs even when we have a job we're happy with we're still like oh my dream job would be to run my own podcast you know or or to do something like else quite different so my question is what was your
0: idea of your dream job when you were like younger and then how does your you know your entrepreneurial path now how does that sort of like fit into that or does it not at all so I mean my my dream job originally when I was like younger like Kid in middle school was I wanted to be a broadcast journalist and I was obsessed with Katie Couric. And I wrote like a book report on her when she was like on the Today Show. And you know, a full circle story is she's now an investor in Third Love and she's like a friend. Like, I had dinner with her last week at the Super Bowl. That was cool, and that's why I'm a founder of And I do get to so that there is an upside, but but like, but anyway, I so I think that you know, some of what I think is like fate or call it whatever karma. Like I do think things kind of come full circle, but I I would say there is no dream job. Like no job is perfect. Even like when you do the thing you love and you're passionate about, there's always going to be a downside to it or a thing about it. You don't like like, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like even as a CEO, there's probably 50 things I do in a day where I'm like, I, lo- I would love not to be doing certain things or have to focus on them, but that's, like, just part of it. And so I just don't think that that exists for most people. Like, there's always going to be, like, X, Y. There's trade-offs, you know? So it's like, there's not going to ever be that, I don't think. Maybe I'm too negative, but, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, hi, I'm Darrell. One thing that you were talking about with have also mentioned on how I built this, yeah. is how hard it is to convince male investors to invest yep. in female companies because they just don't get it. And yep. I think the examples they gave were like the interview with the Sphinx founder and the interview with the Drybar founder because like no man is like, oh, I'm going to get my hair blown out totally. all the time. Yeah. And so well, even though funny, yeah. <laughs> what was your experience with that when you were trying to raise funding? The early days, it was really hard. I mean, I think it's easier today because there are more female investors and there's also more sensitivity to not saying crazy rude things to women if they're pitching. And, um, but I think in the early days, it was really like, I mean, many, many times men would say like... Oh, I like need to go get, like ask my daughter or my wife, or like, let's call the PA and bring her into the meeting. Like I tell you like over 10 times that happened, Mm -hmm. pitching our seed and how incredibly embarrassing for not just me, but for this other woman who feels totally put on the spot because she just has breasts and wears a bra. Like she's going to judge like the future success, potential success of the company. And so it's like stuff like that is difficult, but like, as you go along, then it gets easier because you have more data and you more information. And then it's like more of a business decision versus like, do I totally understand what this is trying to solve? But yeah, I think there's like a lot of guys who did get it, but the pool is different. Like if you think about if the world was totally switched and 97% of partners at VC firms who make the decisions were women, like what would the community of invest, like what kinds of investments would get made? How would they be valued? Like, think about that. Like if that was just totally the opposite, like the world would be radically different. It's just an interesting thing. To know. Yeah. Any other? How would you say you use a perceived weakness to your advantage or something that you really had to grow and strengthen, like whether you capitalize on it or you try and exercise it in some other way? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the hardest thing that I've learned that I actually think I've become pretty good at is public speaking. Like I, in the early days, hated it. I hated having to get up and present. I was terrified to go on TV. It was just, I was so awkward. I felt like a robot. And the more I did it, the better I got and the more comfortable I got in like my own skin. I just really I think my takeaway to the point of it is that if you're just really real and authentic and not trying to be someone else, Mm -hmm. that once I like unlocked that, then it became much easier. I feel like in the early days I was trying to like be somebody I had seen on TV like they're like that this is the way you should speak or like you shouldn't use your hands or like these kind of things and then once I stopped doing that and just was myself then everything fell into place and so I think that's been probably like the area I've grown the most over the past seven years Mm Yeah. Charlie? Stephanie and I are actually just talking about this but sometimes it feels like as you get you know older and more experienced you almost sometimes start to like yourself more and like trust your gut less. Mm-hmm. Curious if you ever struggled with that or if you always felt like you knew what the great right decision was. I mean, it's not always, but like if that's something you probably weren't, you know, good at naturally being confident and trusting your gut and kind of looking for decisions or if it's something as like obviously decisions became more crucial and more important, yeah. and it's, it's something still challenging. That's actually a really interesting question. I've been talking about this a lot with my leadership team because the more information you have, like in some ways, and that's kind of like how, like when you're earlier in your career, you don't know as much. So you're making like decisions more in like a smaller box. Right. And then you have more information, which feels like you should make better decisions, but it's kind of overwhelming. And then you're like, so I totally get that. But I think nothing replaces like your gut instinct. And I've made this mistake the past, a few times in the past few years where like I've known deep down something's wrong in our business or something that somebody says, or the data, even though it says something, isn't right. And the only times things have gotten messed up is when I didn't push. Like, when I didn't ask that question, when I didn't trust my gut. Like, your gut instinct is, like, almost always right. Like, I just, I keep coming back to that. And that doesn't mean, like, of course you need to, like, ask questions and gather data. But, like, if you have, like, that, if you're like that, you should always go with the thing that, and you, like, just need to trust and, like, move. I feel like most times it's okay, you know? Hey Alyssa. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Where you know you might not confidentially want to talk about yeah. this, but where are your sort of where do you want to go with third love and what's the, the vision? And sort of the other side of that is what other gaps do you see, especially in women's businesses? Mm-hmm. And like like you think about things that nobody's problems nobody's solving for right now. You probably think about that in your spare time that you don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, I don't actually have any good, like, I'm so busy that I'm like, don't I, feel like I don't it. even know. Like, I walk through the world. Like, I'm sure you guys have a way more ideas. And I think there's just nothing comes totally top of mind. But I think for third love, I mean, we're just, I mean, trying to build something big you know and the bigger you get the harder it is to scale and keep growing like it's just like natural and so where we become this mid mid stage I mean some people are like you're not a startup I'm like kind of we still are but it's uh you know I don't know maybe go public at some point would be probably the most natural thing but like you never know So just but trying to build like a sustainable brand, right. That it does the right thing most of the time and doesn't lose too much money, you know, just (laughs) basics, like building businesses. I used to joke about it five years ago because it was like spending money in Silicon Valley was like the thing. And I was like, isn't like the definition of a business that you sell a product or service for more than it costs (laughs) to produce it? Like, isn't that like at a basic level. Um, and now it's sort of come full circle where like people are like, yes, that is the definition. of So, you know, the world's changed a lot in the past few months.
2: So. All right. That was our conversation live from our launch celebration in San Francisco, an evening with Vera, self-care and inspiration, the conversation with Heidi Zach of Third Love. We hope you guys loved it as much as we did.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or share it with a friend and hit subscribe so you never miss a show.